am I pronouncing your last name? <laughs> Equier. Equier. Yes. I wasn't. I wouldn't not have even. No, don't worry about it. Everyone destroys that thing, man. <laughs> it's not easy. And Jack is the founder of F4S Life Foundation. F4S Life, yeah. And you're a mental health. You help people along their way with their troubles. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your foundation and what you do? <clears throat> Yeah, for us for life is uh, we we consider us the starting point for anyone that's battling with any type of mental health ailment, and we cover under that spectrum anything from PTSD to domestic violence to anxiety, depression. We have anti-bullying campaign, addiction, and suicides. We cover a wide range. Um, so basically, by a startup in our community, what we offer is free programs to anybody that needs it. Uh, anyone that has dealt with MHU, the mental health unit hospital. Uh, knows that they get turned away for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they'll tell you it's quote-unquote not serious enough. Well, any mental health issue, whether you want to consider it a disease or a condition, is serious. Um, so when you come to us, with our, within our board of directors and our subcommittee, our advisory council, we have specialists in multiple fields. We have addiction substance abuse counselors. We have someone that works with family child services. We have a psychotherapist, so on and so forth. So basically, if it was you, say you were dealing with uh, PTSD, and you said, hey, listen, you know what, I really need some help, some support. You'd come in, you'd, you'd talk to us, you'd probably do a one-on-one -on -one with me, and then we channel you with the avenues we think would be best suited to help you and what you would need, to get you the help that you need, without medication. So that's basically what we do in a nutshell, and we're based right in Glens Falls. I mean, I live in Hudson Falls, we consider ourselves based in Glens Falls, so we're in the North Country, predominantly. In Tri-County area. Tri-County area, yeah, for the most part. Now, you've done things... Worldwide, though, you've helped people not just locally. You've helped people all across the country, other countries. Yeah, which is really crazy to think about. <laughs> I um, see this big smile on your face. Like, you didn't think that you'd push it to that level. I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, as we talked a little bit before we started, not in depth, but uh, when, you, when we get into my background story, you'll understand why I smile now and why becoming... Um, not to say the person I am today, but with the foundation that I've created, uh, yeah, I never thought I'd be here uh, five years ago. Never thought I'd be here ten years ago. You know, I mean, uh, and there's stories out there that are rougher than mine, but mine's mine's right up there. I've suffered the gamut of mental health. I've lived through all of it, and I call it my rising from the ashes story. So it's, um, you know, I guess uh, we can start with uh, a little bit about me. And, and I grew up in Albany, New York. I was um, bullied as a kid. Uh, third and fourth grade, two different kids, uh, and I went through the normal spectrum, why me? Uh, I was an athlete, played basketball, I was an A straight A student, I was involved in a church, my mother uh, was Italian, Roman Catholic Church, I was in church, I was an altar boy, uh, I was a decent looking kid, at least I thought I was, so well, you, go, you always go through the motions, you always wonder why, why me, why did they pick me out of all these kids, why me? So I went through the whole thing. I was, you know, spit on, stuffed in trash cans, physically abused, you know, called names, chased home from school. I mean, it was very traumatic. You know, third and fourth grade, you're looking at, what, uh, eight, nine years old, somewhere in that, in that ballpark? And there's days I would wait in school till so-and-so, well, say year one, that I was bullied. I'd wait till they left. I would talk to anyone in that school just to avoid having to go outside. Some days, they didn't wait around, and I got home safely. And, I, you know, you get in the door, and you're like, oh, I didn't have to deal with that shit. Other days, I got chased home, you know, chased home, shit thrown at me. You know, any, anyone that's been bullied can tell you exactly uh, what that feels like. So that happened third and fourth grade and led to eh, a slight form of depression. You know, I mean, back then, no one really clinically said what depression was. Um, but, uh, you know, I did a lot of playing on my front porch. We had a closed porch by myself. Action figures, baseball, anything to keep my mind... Didn't have a lot of friends, but I had a handful of friends. Um, and as you can tell now from talking to me, I'm very extroverted now. So back then I wanted to be that guy, but I was always afraid to. If I stood out, somebody was going to come at me because I stood out. Oh, you know, you may be a little too loud or say something the wrong way. You put a target on your back. Um, so that depression leading out of uh, grammar school into middle school. Um... Middle school was a little bit easier, but I was still dealing with some uh, depression. I think even borderline ADHD to a certain extent. You know, that's uh, we think now after talking to my sister, I think I had a little bit of that too. Um, but we'll fast forward uh, into going into freshman year of high school, and I found alcohol. Eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, alcohol was my escape. 
as uh, many people I'm sure will resonate with this. So it started just stealing liquor from my parents' liquor cabinet. We've all done that. You know, you go out, try to say, oh, they'll never notice it's gone. You know, we'll take a little here, a little here, a little here. Well, it turned into a liter and a half of Southern Comfort a day habit. And for those people out there, that's uh, yeah, a pretty big-sized bottle. So you look at that, what he's got right there. It's one and a half of those a day. It's a lot of liquor. It's a friend. lot of liquor. It's a lot of liquor. And, but, again, it was just to, to take everything away. Take the pain away. You know, whatever pain I was dealing with, it took it away. Um, so, battled with, you know, alcohol for, you know, uh, probably nine ten you know, through high school. And I decided alcohol wasn't enough, and I skipped right over, you know, marijuana and went right to cocaine. Um, I felt the pain of that in my day. And cocaine, uh, obviously a different high, we all know that, you know, alcohol is depression, cocaine is a stimulant. Uh, so you contact, you know, you're contradicting that low with a high. You could drink more by having it. Exactly. So, and now you're drinking, you may have cut down a little bit, you may have gone down from that liter and a half to maybe half a bottle, but now you're banging down an eight ball. You know, sometimes it was an eight ball a day. Um, people that understand cocaine know what I'm talking about. That's that's a hefty wad of coke. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 250 bucks, 208 bucks. Yeah, you know, and uh, but you know, I I grew up in Albany, and there was ways to find it if you wanted it. You could find it just like it is nowadays. Um, so high school years was heavily induced with alcohol and drugs. I was I was there as well, so I'm I'm understanding your story so far. <laughs> I was I was beat up as the fat kid growing up, chased home. Yeah. You know the the, the poor kid. Then I was a uh, I, I know you know the area pretty good. I went to Queensbury. I was yeah. the poor kid at the rich kid school. It was hell. Yeah. See, so you've lived, so you've gone through the you know you're getting picked on and so on. So the same way. I mean, how did it make you feel? I mean, did you? My answer was this. Yeah. Which was a horrible answer because then I became the bully. Exactly. Exactly. I and had I... to do a lot of apologizing in my older years <laughs> for defending myself. Right. Because I would go too far. Yeah, well, I mean, you're caught up in the moment, and the anger comes out, and, uh, you know, I mean, I found that, I found it even later in life, that I became, uh, I, I knew I was really good with my hands. I was something I was really good at. I was, you know, like you attest to, I was good at fighting. It was something I just found out that I was good at. Um, so coming out of, just out of high school, I'm trying to think, 91, I want to say 91, we'll say, I lost my mother. My mother battled cancer for 10 years. Uh, breast cancer watched her suffer, and we had a good relationship, uh, really good, we were very close. Uh, so to lose her, and the last vision I have, my mother was getting carried up the driveway in a body bag. Um, so now we're on the borderline of a PTSD. Now for the people out there that don't understand PTSD and you think it's just, you need to be a combat veteran or you need to be a first responder, that is clearly not the definition of post-traumatic stress disorder. It is any traumatic experience. It could be a car wreck, it could be losing a loved one, it could be any traumatic experience can cause PTSD. But society has us believe you need to serve in Iraq. You had to be in Vietnam, you had to be in Korea, you had to be in World War II. You had to witness, you know, that type of uh, environment. Well, that's not the case. Just losing my mother was enough to... It, it flipped a switch. I call it, I say that was my switching point in life. So after being bullied going through life, uh, going through the addiction, and still battling depression. Now, of course, losing my mother up the alcohol again. And, and, you know, I mean, that just put it to a whole other level where I started physically, you know, destroying doors, sheetrock. I'd punch holes in walls. I mean, I became a whole different uh, version of myself, which I, that was not me. As I said to you before, I was straight-A student. I was mild-mannered. I was, but now it, it almost like it, it was a trigger, flip the switch. And uh, I swore after my mother passed away and going through what I'd gone through that no one would ever make me feel like a victim again. I would not let it happen. Come hell or high water, we'll battle to the end, tooth and nail. Doesn't mean just physically, but I'm going to war for myself. I have to do that. Um, so, you know, losing my mom, that was tough. You know, watching my dad go through that. My dad was a very large individual, 6'4", 290 pounds, professional bodybuilder, weightlifter, massive man. But to see him broken down to what he was broken down to, losing my mom, was very tough to watch, um, to watch him go through that. So I went through a bad stretch of about three, four month bender of alcohol and drugs, and that's all I did, and it was heavily cocaine and liquor. Again, once again, I find myself going down that path. Until um, one day, down the road, a few years later, woke up and I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't like what I saw. And I said, I can't keep doing this. I mean, I, I look like a 
I don't know if you can swear in this. Yeah, you can know. swear. Okay. Really, okay. I, I, I just mean, no racial slurs. No, no, I'm not, I'm not that guy. <laughs> uh, no, I, I literally looked like a fucking train wreck. I mean, I looked at myself. I didn't even recognize recognize myself in the mirror. I mean, I was who I was looking at was not me. I don't even know who the hell that was that I was looking at. So I made the vow to myself with the help of family and some close friends that I, that I did a personal detox. I didn't go to a detox center. And for all those that watch detox on movies and other things and you think it's bad, it's a hundred times worse. I don't know if you've ever gone through detox, uh, through what you've been through. I got off of Coke by snorting Vicodin, and okay. then off of Vicodin by putting ibuprofen or aspirin up my nose, and then started putting water up my nose. Yeah, okay. I, needed, I needed that sensation yes. to get myself clean. So the when you watch these documentaries or movies with the cold sweats and the night terrors, let me tell you something, it is like a living hell. And there's not a day that goes by even now years later that there's not that that little just thing in the back of your head that's like I could just do it one more time and be uh-huh. fine I think everybody that's dealt with it that that has I can know, control it this time exactly that has been even now in recovery or looks back and say well and funny that you bring that up this will jump a little bit but uh so one of the things I, <clears throat> I thought would never affect my family is losing someone to addiction um I had a cousin of mine that I grew up with, uh, Robbie, and uh, we were a couple years apart. He's probably my younger brother's age, and my mother used to babysit him, so it was my father's brother's son. Very low-key, very introverted, didn't have a lot of friends, but we liked him. You know, he was, he was our cousin, so he was like another brother to me. So I found out years later that he had gone through a bad heroin addiction, uh, did time in jail, you know, stole from my uncle. I mean, the whole gamut. Anyone that's gone through heroin addiction understands what I'm talking about. Stealing money to feed the habit. Uh, we had lost touch for a while, and somehow we reconnected on Facebook. So I reached out to him, and I said, hey, Robbie, you know, how are you doing? So he calls me up. We had a nice long conversation, about an hour on the phone. And he goes, you know, I want to be real honest with you, um, you know, that I've been in prison. I've done, you know, what, what he had gone through. And I said, Robbie, listen, I'm really proud of you. You know, you're, you're clean now. You've been clean, I want to say two years. So I'm like, great, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm real. a long time. Yeah, you know, especially heroin, you know. And, heroin and, is the rough. It's the monster. Oh. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm proud of you and over it. I'm glad we reconnected. Everything was, was going well. And uh, in the meantime, his wife was uh, 39, dealing with cystic fibrosis. Well, he had to make the call to pull the plug on his wife. Now, they had a nine-year-old son, uh, Robbie uh, Jr. Uh, so now he's in the midst of this whole thing. So after talking to him, the next day, I get this random phone call on my phone. I get this message from him. My wife says, hey, you know, your phone rang, and it looks like it's one of your cousins. And it was. It was my cousin Dominic. I haven't talked to my cousin Dominic in years. For some reason, Robbie popped into my head. I don't know why. It was just one of those things. So I go and listen to the voicemail. So I get on the thing. I listen to the voicemail. He's like, hey, this is cousin Dom. I want to let you know before you hear from somebody else that they found Robbie today in his apartment, slumped over his computer, and he's gone. And even now, that just gave me the worst case of goosebumps because I uh, listened to that voicemail and I sort of tried to take the moment in. I went out my back deck and then I broke down. So I said to my wife, I go, you know what? I'm going to go live on Facebook because I'm in the moment. And a lot of times you have to hit people in the mouth. You have to let them see how it truly affects somebody when you lose somebody. So here I go. I put the phone on, popped on. Here I am. Boom. Jock Equity 4S for Life and got into the story. And it was amazing. I think it ended up having fifteen or twenty thousand views. I mean, the people just resonate. I mean, the hearts that were coming up and the tears and all the, and I broke down on the thing. And and I'm not one of those guys that's afraid to do it. I was hurting, and I told people that I'm in pain. I hurt. You know, I wanted I wanted the drug dealers. I wanted to find out who it was. I'm like, if I had to go do it, they're not going to be here anymore. You know, I was in that. It was a mixture of rage, anger, and sadness. Um, but I never thought that. Uh, now here's a nine year old boy who. Lost his mother, now lost his father. So I started a campaign for him uh, that his aunt took over. It's called Rainbows for Robbie. We always told him that his parents went over the Rainbow Bridge. We don't associate death with his parents. So we created this thing and it went viral. Uh, It was on the Today Show. People send him pictures of rainbows from all over the world. Well, Robbie's also autistic. So on top of everything else, you have an autistic child losing both parents at a young age. Very tough. It's just one of those things I never thought that would touch my family. You know, especially heroin. I just, I, you just never think until it happens. And I think that's the problem with mental health. 
you know, on a on a global level that we want to hush hush it because it doesn't happen to us. We don't want to believe it's going on. It needs to be brought to the light. Exactly my point. And the thing is, is that <clears throat> my problem with it is that when it's someone on a platform passes away, now I always use this. I don't know if you know who Anthony Bourdain is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we use him for instance. Anthony Bourdain, no reservations. He goes, takes his own life. Now, the whole world's in an uproar. Well, we've got to do something. We have to do something. Okay, so... Why don't we do something before exactly. to prevent it? So now, when I use this analogy, I say, okay, so if John Smith, my neighbor, says he goes out and takes... I'm not going to be overly graphic because yeah, I don't know if kids will ever watch it or they do or whatever, but... It's legal as an 18-plus show, okay. so... It's so, a parent's fault at that point. Okay, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be a little... So say John Smith is my neighbor, who is not, just so you know, this is not this is a fictitious person. John Smith goes over and hangs himself in the garage in next door. How many people are going to hear about John Smith hanging himself? How many people heard about Anthony Bourdain? Now, how many people were at John Smith's funeral? How many people were at Anthony Bourdain's? Why is his life any different than his? Because he's on a platform? They're human beings. And I have no, you know, I have no qualms with anybody. I get along with them. I mean, Robin Williams is one of my favorite comedians. I mean, Chris Farley. People that have passed from addiction and obviously Robin Williams. All battle mental health. Comedians are notorious for it. But it shouldn't take being on that platform to, uh, for us to get it noticed in our own communities. There are real people, people in my family, people in other people's families that are local. We see them in the paper all the time. It's every day this happens. So our mission, I say, when people ask me, is to combat mental health issues on multiple levels through life coaching, education, community outreach, community support, and healthy alternatives. And that's sending people to self-defense you know, classes, um, aerial yoga with Studio Chrome. Hi, Terry, if you're watching this. My good friend Terry Murray over Studio Chrome. There's your plug. You do that. Um, We're going to do plugs of martial arts people, the self-defense yeah, coach. I Jeff mean, Berger has been on here. He's uh, my first okay. state guest. Uh, he does a lot of stuff out in Salem, Mass. Okay. Uh, you're talking about like people with disabilities. He has an adaptive class, as he calls it, because he doesn't want to call it special needs and all that. Right. So it's adaptive. It adapts to them and how they mm -hmm. can do it. Great guest. <laughs> no, that's great. So that's you know that's what we try to do with uh, you know community uh, you know programs such as that. We're getting into some other things. I have some talks going on Tuesday about doing a yoga class for soldiers that are dealing with PTSD or anyone dealing with PTSD, but especially men, men's yoga oh, and a children's yoga class. People that are getting bullied, so we start an anti-bullying campaign. Or bounce around a little bit, so we'll go back yeah, to. Yeah. Well, I like to get back so in case people follow the. So we brought because you I, up I to, want to know what you got one. Where I want oh, to I know. Because I want to know why you got clean and everything. I, I got to hear all this. <laughs> so we got up to me looking in the mirror one morning and saying, "Jesus, I, I what?" Basically, I said to my, I looked at myself and I'm like, "What the fuck happened?" I'm like, where, where, how did it get this bad? I mean, how did I let myself go down that that path? And how old are you at this point? Okay, let's see. So my mom died in '91. We're looking at '94. It was before my first son was born, so we're looking at 90, well, probably, 90, yeah, right in that area, 90, right after my mother died, 91, I got clean, 91, my son was born, 92. So it took a good six to eight months, I think, you know, to actually clean, you know, my system of the drugs and uh, not want to, I had to separate myself from a lot of people that were friends. Uh, that's very family. tough to do. Yeah, you, you know. It sounds horrible to do because, you know, people, oh, don't cut people off. You gotta cut a lot of ties to get back to your world. You do a lot of ties, and then you're gonna learn at that point who your real friends and family are, because a lot of people are not gonna come back because they have no respect to the fact that you want to change yourself. No, because they want you doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you know, I, so I always said I battled depression since obviously since I was a kid. Went through that, got married, had my sons. Um, you know, we got divorced. My now wife, uh, Katrina, uh, knows the story of everything that I've been through. So anyway, after a few other life-changing episodes, some other things that have gone on, I made the decision to say, I have had enough. I'm going to take my own life. So I decided to do it very aggressively, as people will tell you in the field, and I was going to slit my own throat on my porch at my house. So I made the decision to go out on my, and my, now the story behind this is my wife and I at the time were only dating for five months. And she had no idea that I was even contemplating this. She happened to be in the apartment and uh, I went out on the deck because I, I was in that realm, had the knife, I was ready, went out, sat in a chair, stuck the knife to my throat. All of a sudden she comes barreling out of the house. I don't know how 
caught it. I never even asked him. Came out, both hands on that arm. That arm, sorry. This arm. So this arm. And uh, as she's trying to take the knife away, when you're in that realm, if you haven't been down that path, it's basically a black hole. There's no peripheral vision. You just, it's black. It's just a straight blackness. There's nothing. You don't hear it. You don't hear anything around you. Nothing matters. There's no matter. There's nothing. It's like nothingness. So what she did is, a lot of people will do, they'll say, the world needs you, the world will be a better place. It's all horseshit. The reason I say this is my wife, what she did very smartly, started saying my son's names and her name. So she started making me associate names, which brought the faces. So in this darkness, she keeps reiterating, Tyler needs you. It's my youngest son. Nicholas needs you. Tyler needs you. She would go over it. Katrina, I love you. I'm here. I need... So now, through the blackness... Here's Tyler's face. Here's Nicholas's face. And then I start seeing them crying. Dad's gone. I start to slowly, slowly come back from me. And now she's slowly pulling the knife away as she's talking. Very smartly. Not one or the other, but both. After about 10, 12 minutes, she finally got me to release down. And she pulled the knife out of my hand. And we never talked about it after that. We sort of swept it under the rug. Um, and we'll fast forward to my good friend Herb when we were doing the podcast. Uh, the audience wanted to hear my wife's side of the story. Now, my wife is similar to your fiancé in a way that she's not introverted, but she's not as extroverted as me. And this is a topic that I didn't know if she would even talk about. So I went to her and I said, you know, Katrina, I said, my audience really wants to hear your side of the story. Now, I, again, just told you that I had never talked to her, so I don't even know what's going to come out of her mouth. I have no idea. And I said, we want to know if you want to come on the podcast. And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll come on. And A, when my wife does watch this back, I, she knows that I give her all the credit in the world. That's very brave for her to, to come on and talk about it because people wanted to see not the person going through it, but the support system and how she handled it. So she came on. We had a talk. Herb, you know, uh, did like you do. He you know, creates the whole thing. And he goes, well, hold on. Let me ask Katrina a question. So he said, looked at my wife and he said, what made you stay? That's a very fair question. So now again, now I'm on the edge of my seat. So she sort of looked at Herb. And she looked at me. Now, mind you, we've only been dating for five months. And she said, I saw something in him, and I knew I couldn't live without him. And that is the only podcast that I've ever, that ever brought me to tears. Because to know that someone cared and loved me that deeply, and I didn't think that I deserved that, to have her look at me dead in the eyes and say that to me, basically crushed me in a good way. But, and Herb's like, I've never seen you speechless. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, Wow. And here I am, I'm crying, my wife's looking at me, she's holding my hand, and I'm like, blown away. Still am to this day. And I was one of the most highest rated podcasts. You know, and, but I truly understand what love is all about, you know, the second time around. As I said, I got divorced, and now that I've been with Kat going on 15 years, I can honestly say that I have found my soulmate, and she was brought into my life for a reason. So I took that second chance, and here's my second chance. So when we were talking earlier about where you come from, and okay, you go through bullying, you know, being bullied, you go through depression, PTSD on a mild form, you go through alcohol, you go through cocaine addiction, you go through, there was a second suicide attempt too, that was pills and booze. So, two suicide attempts. So for me to sit here, when you were talking about being globally and me smiling, yeah, because when I look back and reflect on it, and people say, would you have changed anything? And I say no, and they go, well, what do you mean? You were on drugs, you tried to take your own life, but it made me who I am. All those scars, mental, emotional, physical scars that I have, has made me the man that I am today. Without all of that, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know where I'd be. I became a bully like you later in life. I was the guy that would go into the bars because I was a good fighter, and I would seek out reasons to beat people up, and I'm not shitting you. I have hurt more people, not just physically, and if I could go back, and I've done this before, I've done a cleanse on Facebook where I went out and said, anyone that's watching this that I've ever hurt in any way, I truly apologize. Because I was the bully. I was the one that I that I got bullied, so now I turned into it and said, okay. Then I get down the road, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like, I turned into that guy that that, that asshole in third and fourth grade that was picking on me, and now I'm, I mean, literally hurting people physically. Like, this this is not me. So that was like that slip up in the road. And, uh, you know, I had to change that way, too. So I've lived the bullying end on both ends of it. Bullied, bullied, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, my... Decision to get clean and to stay clean, I'm not going to say it was easy. I'm not going to say it was overly difficult. I think once I was over it and I cleared 
I don't think anybody will ever say it's easy. No. But some people, like you said, like you reverted to when you said, well, sometimes people go back and say, if I just did that dough, I never really had that urge to go, ah, if I just snorted that one line, I'll be okay. You know what I mean? Like I know I can't be around it. Even now, I'd like, I could never be, I don't want to see it. I don't want it that close to me because I know how bad I want it. I can't be around it. Yeah. If I, if I know there's going to be at a party somewhere, I'll avoid the whole situation. Well, and that's that's a great thing. That's a, that's a great. I mean, I don't know that I, I haven't been around it. I mean, that I can remember at least in the last ten years. And like people, you know, I have friends that smoke pot. I've never been a big pot fan. I don't like the way it makes me no, feel. No. And you know what? So if they're around me, and but they're always, you know, they're curious. Hey, and I'm like, you know, they may go over to the house, maybe having a, a cookout or something. Like, hey, you mind if I just just go over there? But you know, I don't care what you do. That's what you do, and you feel the need to do well, it. I've had guests. I'm like, just go out on the porch. I don't care. I mean, you know, if that's what you do. That's what you do. People have vices. I get that. Are they healthy? Unhealthy? Some people go to the gym. Some people like a cocktail. Some people like drugs. Some people smoke. Whatever the case is, I, I'm not one to judge, okay? Because I've already been down that path. So people that judge me didn't make me a better person. You know, I, I was I was that whatever, quote-unquote, scumbag or dirtbag or whatever. I came from a middle-class, you know, family. I came from, you know, not money. We were, believe me, we were on food stamps before. We would gone down the spectrum, food you know? stamps were food stamps. Yeah, when, when they were, yeah. There's a card, yes, a book yes, that you pull yeah, out. Yeah, the coupons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what mm. we had. Pretending you were pulling, I pretended I found him on the ground as I was pulling him out of my side. Yes. Oh, look what I found! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you didn't want to be known to be using, you know, foods. I mean, we, we didn't have all the, you know, the uh, things that kids have nowadays anyway. But my, you know, my parents made it work. My father and mother. We had. I have three siblings, so there's four of us. My father worked. My mother didn't work, so my father was, uh, you know, a union man. He went. He went. Uh, this is why I respect him, though. He was a union man. Worked his job. Went to the gym. Went back to night school and got his degree. And went to every, and I'm not even shitting you, he went to every sporting event that my sister, my older brother, my, me and my brother, he didn't miss a game. That man was at every goddamn game. And I mean, from all that he did, to make, and my mother would make it work. We'd go va vacation every year. She would squirrel money away. And we would go away and we'd do a family vacation when it was family time, which we don't have that nowadays because that's all gone to the wayside. But I mean, you know, my parents, they sacrificed. And, you know, my... Um, you know, my friend sacrificed. I'm not saying my, my now wife didn't, but I mean, she had to live through a lot of it. She knows the story of Forest for Life. She knows why I created it. She's been the driving force behind it when I wanted to give up. She's like, no, you know, you're on the right path. You know, there's bumps and bruises. We're going to take that. Um, but the reason that I, the one reason I always do it, now the first event, I always tell people the story. First event I ever did, and I've never taken this off. I've never, ever taken this off. Uh, it was for a nine-year-old boy, Camden Wirt. Uh, he lived in Green Island, and he had stage four cancer. So stage four, obviously, is it's next to the end of the line. It's pretty, pretty, pretty close. And um, if I can remember the name of this, and I get it, it's going to be amazing. It's called <laughs> embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma. That's a mouthful, but it's basically a. I'm not going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like a um, tumor that runs run from the base of his skull down his jawline. It was messy, whatever, and. Um, so, uh, someone else had done an event for this kid to raise money, so-called event promoter. Well, after the event was over, he took all the money out of the account and took off the floor. So now he just robbed a sick kid and his family of money. So this is when I was just starting this out. So I, I had a, a friend that I knew, and I reached out and said, can you connect me with the parents? And she said, yeah, I'll connect you with the mother. So she connected me with the mother, and I said, hey, you know, I told her my story. This is me, Forest for Life, lost both parents cancer. I'd like to do a fundraiser for you and try to raise as much money that, as I can back. So we did, and um, me and uh, a local musician up here went up to DJs up in Lake George, played on the deck during Americade Week. Americade bikers are the most giving people in the world, oh, and dude, especially when it comes to kids that, or uh, military. Is it Relay? Not the Relay for Life. There's the one that they do with the motorcycles, and they go around and they bar hop yeah. for the day. I thought the guy was joking. These bikers, he says that bikers are the biggest, in, you know, givers. The bartender, was the, the guy who owned the bar is not joking. He goes... You're going to feel a rumble, you're going to see a cloud of smoke, and he's like, and it's going to be chaos here for like two hours. Yeah. And it was no joke. These guys came in, and it was like no end of the motorcycles, all for charity. All for charity. Yeah. They paid to do the ride. They donated all the bars to raise money for the ride. And it was the nicest group of people in the world, too. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. These people that are considered bad because of TV shows raise more money than anybody oh, yeah. else. It's insane. 
So we did the event, and the parents were there, and I told them, I said, if you don't want me to announce that you're here, you know, because you're just going through, you know, this with your son and everything else, but I did let people know that they were in the audience, they were there, and uh, I, I don't know, we raised like $800 in two hours, like it was ridiculous, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but, so I went up to the father afterward, and the father was a big bear man, uh, ex-military, tattooed, you know, he was, he was an animal, basically, but he, bra we had a one-on-one, -on -one and he broke down. And I just went up and gave him a hug and said, dude, I'm a father, I get it. You know, what your son's going through, I don't know entirely, but I know as a father I can feel your pain. So I went up and handed him the money afterward. And in the meantime, one of my son's friends was going through stage 3 cancer. So what did this guy do? And the money he raised him, it was $800 or more. He took half of the money that I raised for his son, gave it back to me and said, give this to your son's friend and tell him it's for us, good luck. Now I'll tell you what, if that's not giving back from someone giving back to you, that just reinstilled... That's my philosophy and that there are good people and he didn't have to do that i mean here his son's battling cancer and he could use all that money but he took it because he knew another kid was suffering that's pretty impressive um that's what the world needs they need more of those people you know so now so everybody knows camden has beaten cancer he's on the honor roll at school and the reason i don't take this off the reason why i brought this up is that when i look down at this and i want to give up and i have in the past if a nine-year-old boy can beat cancer there's nothing I can't do. So I can't give up because he didn't give up. And that's why I never take this off. It's the one, I mean, I've gotten a zillion of these things, but not that everyone wasn't important, they were. But this truly meant something. Exactly. There's a sense of value in, in belonging to that being, he showed me the strength and courage that he had. How do you not respect a child that can battle? And, and you know what? He took it in stride. I mean, he went through chemo, he went through all that stuff, and, and here he is. Not, you know, understanding that he could die, but he took it in stride. I mean, that's a strong individual. And set aside that's child, man, child. woman, that's, that's, that's strength. That's true, true strength. So I, mean, I had never taken off. You've been through so much shit. Yeah, I've been through, yeah, I've been through, I mean, I've, I've lost a couple other friends. I lost one of my older son's friends, took his own life. I actually had a family friend die in 9-11. He was in one of the towers when it came down. So there's not too much, and my grandmother was a victim of domestic violence, I can go on and on. So yeah, I've, uh, but so again. Is that where the domestic violence support came from, that, watching that? Yeah, but I just feel, well, you know, the, the thing about it is, I wanted to get a group of women together. Now, A, this, it sounds really weird, because I led the group. Now, here's women that come in. It's a man leading a domestic violence group. Who are their abusers? Usually men. So, what I say to them is, I want you to... Build your belief back in that there are good men out there, that there are men that truly do care and aren't that type of person. I want to hear your story. I want you to educate me because I've seen it. You know, I've seen my grandmother get physically abused, but I've never witnessed it because I've never. So tell me how you feel. How can I help you? Explain to me what you go through because people always ask the same questions. Why didn't you get away? Why didn't you run away? Why didn't you leave? Fear because they control them. These men control every facet of these women's lives. So their fear is, if I leave, he's going to find me. So now they're looking over their shoulder, no matter where they go, the rest of their life. So I actually brought Jim LaFarre in, Warren County Sheriff, good friend of mine. He came into the last meeting and talked to these women on a law enforcement end. And they opened up. These women opened up to me. And it was amazing to me because they were getting abused by men, but they felt comfortable enough to tell me their stories. And they were some fucking horrible stories. And I felt bad. But I didn't look upon them as a victim. I looked at them as a, as a pillar of strength to say, you came out, you're, showed up to this meeting. You're coming on the other end of this now. Exactly. So now, let's give you some proponents to help you move on. And these women are like, it's about empowering our women. So I have two different groups that empower two different sets of people. I have the domestic violence group, but I also have a men's group, and it's called a men's meetup. And what that is, is it teaches men how to be vulnerable around other men. And I know that I've gotten negative slack on this, which I knew I'd take anyway, and the alpha male syndrome that society has, we know this, you have to be the big, tough guy, you can't cry, you can't you know, uh, show your feelings, you can't. Well, when we keep a bottle up inside, this is where you get rage issues, domestic violence, we cover it with addiction because we get caught up in alcohol and drugs because we're so afraid if we come out, we're gonna get ridiculed for it. Well, when I started doing these groups, I actually had two men's wife, one wife and one girlfriend call me and said, listen, you're doing an amazing thing with this group. I said, that has nothing to do with me. I set up the meeting. Thank your husband or your boyfriend because he had the courage as a man to come out to a bunch of other men and say, look, I need fucking help. 
I just lost a friend who was Southlands Fall, Jason Camisso. He was in uh, twenty years in the uh, twenty years in the military. His family's very well known. His father Dominic was a mental health counselor. His brother Michael is. They're in the biker community. I don't want to say a gang because they're not, but they're in the biker community. And um, he lived in Arizona. And a couple weeks ago, he took his own life. And so now I'm ramping up. I have a hashtag campaign that we're building up that I haven't put out there yet, but I just asked for 20 men that are brave enough to wear the shirts to get the message out there. And I think it can be as big as the Me Too movement was for women. This can do the same thing for men's health. Did you find 20 yet or no? Uh, I have 15 right now. I'll do it. All right. I'm a fat guy. I take a 3X. Doesn't matter. Uh, there's one guy actually asked me, he goes, well, so what do we got to pay for the shirts? I said, dude, you don't have to pay anything for the shirts. What it is is to get the message out there. Every movement, think about this, every movement, including Me Too, the Million Man Mark, any of these started with one person. So if that can do, this can do for Million Man March did for black males. If uh, Me Too could do for women until, you know, one got caught out there and the whole thing got screwed up. But I mean, for the most part, the right concept was there. So if we can say it's okay for men to come out, doesn't matter who you are. You know, you can be black, white, gay, straight, fat, thin, poor, ripped, doesn't matter. So when these groups are formed, it's open to any man that says he needs help. And believe me, when you come to these groups and you open up to other men, it just opens so many other doors to you. Like me and my wife have a better, uh, not that we weren't open before, but you know she understands me. I can go and talk to her about anything. I, I learned that, like from my, I learned it from my grandfather, is that when you open up to your other side, you don't need to be the big tough guy. Sometimes, the, sometimes your your wife, fiance, girlfriend needs that strength. Mm -hmm. They don't need it all the time. Yeah. They want to see the softer side of you. They 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 want you to be. They don't need you to be hard as nails. They they want to know that you have a passionate side. And it could be just as simple as lowering yourself to not lowering yourself. That's a wrong term. But like, you know, be nice to them. Tell them they look good. Tell them that you know you don't need to be that tough guy. You're my wife. I own you kind of thing. You know, tell her she's beautiful every morning. Low just. Lower it down right. a little bit. You don't need to act like Mr. Tough Guy 24 right. hours a day. And I love it when I even ask when if you when you do when you have it fit or people. I'd love to have a woman chime in on one of these things to say because what women do and they'll tell you this is women will tell you that one of the quote unquote sexiest traits in a man is being able to show your entire being to them and that means being able to cry, being able to be compassionate with them because as you said. We can be tough guys all the time, but where does that get you? Who are we out to impress? You know, a good friend of mine said to me, and this is part of the reason I got out of the whole bullying people and beating people up in bars, is he said to me, he used to be the one to try to keep me out of fights. And he'd say, listen, the only, per people, the only person that can ruin your night is you. And by that he means you're letting them win. So, does it really mean a lot for someone to call me an asshole or a douchebag or whatever? You know, really? You know, I just brush them off, whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are situations that I'm not going to say that I haven't resulted to having to put my hand on somebody, and that goes to if you hurt one of my children. That's as I was going to say. I, when I go out to the bars, it's no it's no longer about me anymore. No. You want to insult me, push me, shove me, I'm going to go, whatever, dude. Exactly. You win. I'll go find another fucking bar. There's plenty but of around. But if I'm out in, like, one of my female friends or a smaller male friend or whatever, if he's going to get hit, now I've lost my self-control, and now I'm involved. I'm more the protective person right. when I see it now. If I see mouth running, I'm not going to go right. in. But if it's going to get physical to somebody who doesn't deserve it, then I have a problem. Well, especially I'll admit that. Yeah, no, listen, especially with women. I mean, I even when I bounced for years up in Lake George, there's in my in my presence, there's never, gonna, there's never a reason why you need to, to hit a woman. I'm sorry. And I know guys are going to argue, well, what if she hits me first? Dude, you're big enough and strong enough to take it. Walk away, man. It's You don't take ever strike a woman, I'm sorry. And there's no circumstances that relate. Listen, me and my ex-wife never got along. You know, I never thought of, hey, i got to raise my hand to her because I feel like more of a man. It doesn't make you feel like, I mean, it really, it really truly doesn't. But, I mean, you know, women do find that, that and if you can make them laugh. Women are like a guy with a good sense of humor. And you can be the biggest goof. Listen, I'm one of the biggest, goofiest motherfuckers I've ever met. I am, I'll, I'll be silly to the core, and I don't care, because it doesn't yeah, matter to me. I'm having fun. Exactly. You know, I'll be the guy dancing in the bar. I, I have my, Actually, one of my uh, good friend's wife just sent me this video. We were out somewhere, and then music came on, and I just started dancing. Right in the middle of the thing. Just started coming out. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. But, you know, there are things that I say that I protect. I mean, I'm better at restraining. I've learned, you know, through... You know, 
you know, whatever, my background um, with, uh, you know, restraining people where I don't have to, you know, put my hands on a physical as far as swinging on somebody. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not going to not defend myself. You know, if somebody's going to, if somebody's literally going to come after me physically, I know the self-defense laws. I know what I can do, like you said, without using excessive force. You do enough to quell the situation. You don't go above and beyond where you're stopping the dude into it's, the ground. It's, it's not a chokehold. It's a rear lateral vascular restraint. But it works great. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> know your terms. <laughs> yes, exactly. But no, that the uh, men's group, and then what we're going to try to do with that, or what we're going to do with that is we're going to do um, Sunday morning hikes. Where uh, I, I got the idea from a group in Australia, they call it the Conscious Men's Brotherhood. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of Australian men, these are big, burly, bearded, tattooed, big Goliath dudes. dudes. Country. So what they do is they take these hikes, and uh, they bring them up on a mountain. They do what they call primal screams. They just let these guys take their shirts off and just yell, just let it all out at the top of a mountain. So they do the hike up the mountain, then they come all down, and they eat breakfast together. But it's a good, it's a male bonding at its finest. And you know what? If we can open up to other men. And understand that you and I have similar problems. Me and Joe Jones over here does. Me and this guy does. That's where you start opening that dialogue where maybe we're not seeing the bigger picture. And maybe they're going through something. And they may say something that's going to spark it in you and go, I know I never tried that. Maybe I should do that. You know, and it gives you something to just practice moving forward. And the more you can open up to your other half. I don't care if you're gay, straight. If you have a life partner, a wife, a boyfriend, whatever it is. If you can actually sit down and talk to them and say, you know what? Like I do with my wife. Like, I had a bad day. And she'll say to me, okay, do you want to tell me about it? Yeah, I want to tell you about it. And then she'll say, do you want my opinion or do you want me just to listen? My wife's very, very smart. Sometimes I just want her to listen. Honey, just hear me out. Okay. And, and I can see her. It, you can see them. Women are deep thinkers. They'll, they'll, they're processing everything. And then I may go lay down and I might revisit later and say, hey, you know what we talked about earlier? And she's like, yeah, I was thinking about certain things. And we'll sit down and we'll talk about things. But it makes it so much easier because she understands what's going on. If I'm going around the house punching holes in walls and yelling and screaming, she has no idea. She's like, is it me? Was it this? Was it the dogs? Was it... She's going to be scared. Yeah, so we're not letting on. you know. So if we are able to just say, listen, man, I had a bad day at work. You know, I, I ran over my foot with a fucking pallet jack or something, tore the toenail off and banged my head in the doorway. I'm just having a rough day. She understands now. Okay. But it also brings your level down. So once you get it off... You're not way up here with the rage. Now you're sort of down here almost like a simmer. So now you're taking it down and you're not infecting her with that. And she doesn't have to be on the defensive like, okay, I don't know what the fuck is he going to do now. Not that I, nah, she worries about that with me. My wife would probably kick my ass. If you ask anybody, <laughs> you ask anybody about my wife, my wife is the intricate alpha female, dude. Believe me. We fit well together. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the groups are uh, right now, they're Wednesday evenings. Uh, at the Salvation Army building in Glens Falls, which is 37 Broad Street. Every Wednesday it rotates, so one weekend's a men's group, one's a, um, cancer, a couple's cancer support group, and then we have the anti-bullying campaign, Become a Buddy, Not a Bully. And that's the way to just have kids that are getting bullied that don't feel like they're a part of something. Now you give them one of your shirts, now they see other kids, now they belong. So that builds their self-esteem, that builds their... Now I have friends, now I belong to something. Exactly. I'm not a loser, you know, like... You've got it. So that's it, actually. There's You're the, a brilliant dude, man. There's the logo right there. Two fist bumping. Become a buddy, not a bully. Boom. You got you got, you got brilliant <laughs> ideas. You got brilliant, you know, the, and it's the, the fist bump. You know, you've got brilliant logos. You've got brilliant, you know, the, the strength, struggle, sacrifice, survival. It's you've got it. You know exactly what you. This is what you were meant to do. That's what I. That's what your, I said. Your struggle to where you are now is exactly what you were meant to do. Well, that's what I said to my my wife one time. I said, uh, after my father passed away, and that was the, the like the icing on the cake. He passed in 2013, and uh, we didn't get along at the end because he had remarried. I didn't like his, his uh, new wife. We didn't get along, yada, yada, yada. And um, I went in and had my one-on-one -on -one with my father, and he went to mouth. He couldn't talk. He had a tube in his, in his throat, and he, he went to say, I love you. I know what he was trying to do. And I said, Dad, we're all good. If you need to go, because they always worried. I was like the, the dark horse. Uh, out of the, the four children. And I know he always worried about me. I said, Dad, I'm all good. I'm all good. And uh, it was the first time Katrina had met my dad was when he had gone to the hospital. And when that when she went up, and he had one time where his uh, lips were really dry, from the, and she went up, without even asking, got a cotton swab, and did his, and I said, that's the one. That's, that's that, I mean, who does shit like that, dude? That's She came in there when I was in my one-on-one, -on -one and she broke down me. She held my hand. She was there for it. And I said, I finally found my true calling. You know, everyone's blessed with one gift. 
My gift is touching people on a deep level. And if I can help just one a day, and I believe I can do that. If I can save one life a day, and I honestly truly believe I can save one life a day, I've done my part till it's my time not to be here anymore. So why not turn all of that shit we just talked about, all that negativity, all the, we'll call it the bad shit that's happened to me, after all that, and what I call again, rising from the ashes, to recreate positivity, it just speaks volumes to people and says, listen, it's not for accolades, it's not for pats on the back, it's not for thank yous. It's to prove that you can come from the deepest bowels of hell and you can climb back. It takes will, it takes work. I'm not gonna lie to anyone out there, it takes a lot of fucking willpower, it takes a lot of work. But you can accomplish it. You surround yourself with the right people and you have the will to succeed, you That's will get there. One of the biggest things I point out to people that I see them all the time, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. And I'm like, you gotta point it, like, you gotta do it in a nice way to try to like, cause you don't wanna, I don't, I hate to be too blunt with people if they're already hurting. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, well, who are you hanging out with? Who's around this situation? Right. And then the next time, ask them again. Try to get them to realize, hey, these two individuals or this one individual is always around when you do something wrong or you do something mm -hmm. bad. And that's it. It's a good question. Like you said, to talk to somebody. If, you, if you're dealing with somebody that needs to talk, say if a friend reached out to you and say, okay, let me ask you something. Say, say if you have a friend. We'll call him uh, Tom White. And uh, say you know he's into drugs, he's a drinker, and um, whatever other issue you have. So first thing you say to him, like you just said, it's a perfect example. So Tom, who are you hanging out with when you're drinking? Well, I'm with Steve and Bob and Larry, we'll say. Okay. So when you're blowing lines, who are you with? Well, Steve and Larry. Okay, so you eliminate a one, and you have the same two for the other, and say whatever the other problem is. Maybe it's God knows what, I don't know. Maybe he's doing quaaludes or something. But whatever the case is. So, uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I didn't want to go down the heroin. But. Yeah. So then he goes, well, you know, Steve. Well, we know the, the constant. Steve, Steve has been through all three, and he's with you also. First, first that's, that's what you start with. Now, Larry's been two of them. So there's number two that's got to go. Now you're down to the last guy, which is the alcohol. So that's, there's your components. But your main component is that one trigger. That's what triggers you to do your drinking and your drugs. No, can you play the Facebook game and figure out what drugs your friends are on? So if I have a friend, I know they have a problem because I, you know, what I mean, I I know a lot of people. Right. I know a lot of bad things people do. If I have somebody on Facebook and I think they have an issue, like a friend, I think they have an issue, I can get on their Facebook page, and I can see like six people that I all know do the same substance. Oh, oh yeah, and yeah. Now yeah, I yeah. know what your issue is. Now I know what you're on. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's funny because like when I and I get a lot of friend requests and uh, you know from all over the all over the country, all over the world actually, and I always try to look to see who their friends, especially local people, because if I see one or two people that I know are into things that I don't mean even just drugs that are just into sketchy shit, mm -hmm. I decline it. And I've had people say, "Well, you declined it." Eh, I just it's not right for me. Yeah. Because I don't I just don't need to associate with certain things. Um, now I have a crap load of people on my Facebook. I don't even know who the hell they are. Listen, my wife says to me all the time. She's like, who is so-and-so from New Zealand? I don't know. They reached out. Like, my, uh, this is from a guy in England. And uh, most of the stuff that was in here was bought from a guy in New Zealand. Well, they always, we always tie in because I, I always try to find specialists that are doing the same thing so I can tie in and do a... Like, I had an author come to our... We do a fundraiser every year at Community Social. I had an author fly in from Minnesota that wanted to be a part of the event. So now I'm going to go out to Minnesota and be on her show. I have another author that came in from Boston. He wants me to drive out. So now I'm slowly getting out. Now I'm going to start doing you know, a talk in Boston with him, maybe a talk in Minnesota with her, and start networking that way and getting this. I want my programs, the ultimate goal of a 4S for Life is to get something in every quadrant of the United States. So I want an office, a satellite office in the West, in the Midwest, down South, and up here. One that I can go to as CEO and make sure the programs are being run, but to have somebody run it with a board of directors as a nonprofit in all of them. So all my programs are offered across the United States. You need to find somebody to run these that has been through the struggle and come out the other end. It can't just be some oh, no. some some you know Yahoo that applied no. online. No. They need to have a history. This would be I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. No. But it needs to be somebody who's experienced it and not just speaking out their ass. It would be heavily researched, I can tell you that. Yeah. It would they would be handpicked by me What's to What's your do story? It. Exactly. And that's what you ask people. And then they'll say, well and that's funny you bring it up because a, a good friend of mine brought, uh, said it to me today. And, they, and I go, don't mean your story about educate because a lot of people start trying to throw out their accolades, which is great. Hey, I got a mask. No, no, no. What's your story? I don't have, you, I, have you been in a crack house and watched somebody get pistol whipped in front of you? Have you? 
Yeah, I mean, I just, just bring up, yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, but you're right. Bring up, bring up things like that. You know, like I could say, hey, you know what? Have you ever seen, uh, you know, a woman get physically beaten in your presence? I've seen my grandmother go through it. Have you seen it. someone turn grayish green color off a of heroin overdose? Because I have. It's not pretty. If you watch somebody come out, you got to lock them in a room. I've, I've helped people detox. Yeah. you got to lock them in a room. They're going to piss. They're going to puke. They're yeah. going to shit. They're going to scream. Yeah. Have you seen that shit? Because it's not a pretty sight of life. But that's automatically what they do is they go right to their story. They go, well, I got a degree. And that's great. I love that you have degrees. But I need to know because... My this is a old, different kind of education. Exactly. It, there's, it goes back to the book, book smart, street smart thing. And here's, here's the thing. I say this to people all the time. If you have a degree in anything, it's like I give you all the accolades in the world for going to school and being able to follow through with it. But to honestly talk on what we're talking about here, mental health, if you ain't lived it, you can't talk about it, not truthfully talk about it. You need to live through the battle to talk about it, at least some component of that. If you come and tell me, oh, I had a silver spoon in my mouth, like everyone was handing me an egg, and my parents bought me a car, and you ain't lived it. So you cannot stand up there and tell somebody what they need to do, because that's what they like to do. They'll tell you, this is what you need to do. No, 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 no. no, no. So when I tell people my story, I say, listen, this is what worked for me. It may not work for you. You can try this, and if this doesn't work, we have other avenues we can you know, push you towards. But I never, ever say, this is what you have to do, or this is what you need to do. This is what I've done. Here's a few notes. You can follow this. Now you need to know what works for you. Exactly, because everyone's journey through any of this is different. None of our journeys are ever the same. The end all is what we want to get to is the fourth S, which is survival. We want to see everybody survive. Not only survive, but thrive. It's not just a survival game. You know, you want to thrive in a new environment. You want to turn the negatives into positive, which is basically what it is. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it is. It's a, it's a lot of work. But we are here in the community, you know. Um, and we live in a very, very bad uh, addiction and mental health area. We really exactly, do. Yes. I mean, we've got, what, three center for recoveries in like three towns? Yeah. Uh, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see some sort of opiate overdose in the area. Narcan's yeah. got to be thriving in this area. It's mm. terrible. Yeah. Other area, and we're not, it's not a problem across the country. Right. It's here. Like, I, I spent six months down south. They, they have a meth problem. They don't have people dying every day. They have people right. running through the streets clucking like chickens. Right. It's it really, I, dude. That's more right. terrifying to me. Yeah. I, I I hate to say it like that, but those heroin overdoses die. The meth addicts that I saw, those are dangerous. They're dangerous to, to themselves and others. Like yeah. people like st- like they make like circles around to get away from these people. Right. But nevertheless, it's still an issue. Yeah. It needs to. There needs to be something, and and people can't afford to go get treatment. That's the big part. They can't afford to go get treatment. So that's why when we say we're the starting point to everyone that does watch us down the road tonight, moving forward, our programs are free to anybody and everybody. We made them free, so there's no reason you can't say it because people always say, "Well, man, I'd love to get help, but I can't because I can't afford it." Well, here's your chance because now there's no excuse. You have to, it's like anything else. You want to quit smoking, you want to quit gambling, you want to quit alcohol, you want to quit drugs, you have to take the first step. Same thing with support. You need to come out and say, I need help. It's up to you to make the first step. We'll help you, but I can't go out and seek people because, I mean, I can pick people out and say, yeah, like we did a, we did a, uh, we did a uh, sober happy hour. And uh, I, had, I had a woman sitting with me and she goes, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. And she goes, can you actually tell who's, in recovery here, who's like recovering from drug and sobriety? I said, absolutely. I said, watch this. So I went around the room and I went, him, him. I mean, really not pointing. I'm pointing now, but I didn't point at them. But I, I like nodded my head. I'm like, him, him, her. She's not. She's not. He's not. Her, him. Anyway, so I go around the room. Five of those people that I said yes, they came up and introduced themselves to me as I was sitting with this lady. And they said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm in recovery for. And she just looked at me and go, how'd you know? Because I've been there. I've been an addict to alcohol and drugs. I know what the symptoms are. I can tell you right now who's on it and who's not. It's not It's not hard to pick out. It really isn't. And she was just like, oh, I can't believe that you can do that. Because it goes back to... Just like, you give me 15 minutes, I can tell you what they're on. Yeah. <laughs> I, we had people, we've had people, where I work, we've had people come in hopped up. And I'm like, I was like, they're on something. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, well, I've got it down to three right now. I was like, you give me a few minutes, I can tell you exactly what drug they've got in their system, and if we need to get them out of here or not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, so... (laughs) 
That's uh, that's basically it in a nutshell. I mean, I uh, you know we're starting the programs, and as I said, we're working with uh, self defense workshops for uh, victims Who's of domestic violence. Melander's Martial Arts Academy. Uh, Jeff Melander's a good friend of mine, so there's my yeah, plug to Jeff. Gives these props out there. Oh, yeah. And then obviously Terry Murray. I'm working with her. She does uh, Studio Chrome aerial yoga and pole dancing classes. Uh, we'll be doing. Um, the yoga classes, I have to talk to them on Tuesday. I won't mention them yet until we solidify, but that's pretty much uh, in, in stone. And um, then, you know, the other things for the bullying campaign, we want to be able to send kids to camps, soccer camp, overnight camp. You know, people that don't think they fit in. Have you tried doing anything with the 4-H people? That might be a good I've one. actually just talked to somebody up at, uh, that's the director of Chinjikook up at Keep the Chinjikook, yep. yeah. So I have a meeting with them coming up as well. So I don't want, I don't want to expose my entire hand. Just like a no, but I'd like to hear actually... It's not just trying to help them. It's let's get them something yes. to well, get into. Healthy alternatives. Something to... It's all about rebuilding positivity. And it's all about them building their self-esteem. Bottom line what is... the youth center? Well, the youth center, we, we started to work with until Matt Congdon passed away. Yeah, that was, um, a big, that was a big hit for them. Yeah, his daughter runs it now. We're actually doing a fundraiser for them. I've worked with Sky Zone. We're doing a one event every month for an individual or organization in need, no matter who they are. Next month, we're doing one for the youth center. We've already established that. So that's something that we do outside of the ordinary. I mean, we do little things in the area where, you know, we don't, uh, like we're doing one with Common Roots on March 15th. They reached out, uh, us, Common Roots, and Southeast Pizza, Cornhole Tournament, some other stuff, Fun Time, Kelly and Sons coming to play. Um, we do Cody's Climb every year, which is a... The Suicide Awareness thing. Yeah. We put a team together every year. So anyone... I used to work over at Aaron's. We used to donate the water for that when they yeah. were open. But anyone that wants to join our team, we'll put it out as soon as I get all the details. We had 25 or 30 last year. We want to get 50 people walking as for us for life. I was actually one of the speakers. I shared my story last at the uh, at the climb, which was very uh, was very cool for me to go up and be able to talk in front of, especially people that know me in the area that didn't know the story to say, "Oh yeah." You have a very intense story. It was, uh, you know what? It's funny because I like I'll watch you, like I watch everyone, and it's always when it comes to the suicide, it's always the touchy topic. Well, it's, it's, it is a very rough topic. For me, honestly, the touchy part is it's, it's the drugs because I've been there. I've never, I've never really, you know, I wouldn't say that suicide never crossed my mind ever growing up because that right. would be a lie. But it never crossed it like a serious, no, it was like, a, oh, you know, I was never, right. I was never really serious when I would say it. But the drugs and stuff, it was like the hard hitter for me because I've been there. And you think you're just having fun. And then when it's over, right. you realize this was a masking agent for something else that was wrong. Yeah. And to see how many people in your lives were fake. That was the harder part for me was to see how fake my whole life was. Yeah. It's a facade. Yeah, everything was fake. Your friends, just nobody was there. All the people you thought were friends. We won't say they're friends. We'll say yeah. the people you thought they were friends are friends then, for a reason. Then there was people where uh, I've had people overdose. After I was done, we haven't hung out with like, you know, two years or whatever. And you're like, do I go to their funeral? People are like, what do you mean? I'm like, we hung out like every day for a year, but then as soon as you got out of everything and got clean, yeah, you never heard from again. I'm like, <laughs> am I their friend? Do I do I go to this wake? Do I go to the funeral? Right. I honestly, I never went. It's, I don't yeah. think I don't I don't think we were really friends. I think we were in cohorts and business partners, if you want to say it that way. It's really weird because I mean I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of funerals and wakes. I mean, I go to my share, but sometimes I just... Even if it's people I know, it's hard for me. I just don't like the... The environment. Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, it's not that... uh, You know, people always ask me, they say, well, you know, what's your biggest fear? And most people, if you ask them that, they'll say death, and it's not for me. Because from what I've been through to where I've come, and I've traveled, and I've done things, and I've created a foundation, and I've raised my kids, I have a grandson, I have, you know, a beautiful wife, I have everything that I need... It's having, you know, I'm 10 years older than my wife. It's me passing on and having her be alone. That's my biggest fear because she doesn't deserve that. I don't want her to ever be alone. You know, and that bothers me. Like, I've even had dreams or whatever of that, of her sitting on a couch with the dog and just not having me there. And that bothers me. That brings me to tears a lot of times because I don't want her to be alone. There's no reason for it. But unfortunately, we know that it is. You know, so you make those... In any relationship, someone's going to go before the other. Exactly. That's the cruel... Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter the drugs, the alcohol, it doesn't matter what you do. Someone's no. got to go before the other. Someone's going to suffer. Yeah. That's the cruel reality of the world. I honestly think, and she said one time, she goes, uh, she goes, I couldn't live without you. And I'm like, I couldn't live... You know, and it's easy to say. You but after, 
after what we after what she's seen and what we've been through, I mean, she lost her dad since we've been together. I Man, I lost my father. She lost her father. Her father suffered from PTSD, had a brain tumor. You know, um, he abused her mom. You know, so she's been down her own gamut of stuff and then taken on what I've been through. And I think it just made us stronger. We're a very strong, cohesive unit, and that's what that's what makes it work. Is that we stand behind each other no matter what it is. I mean. If She's, something happened to you, she would be like, I can't, I have to live on. Right. Because that would piss you off after all you've done. <laughs> Very true. Well, it is in the bylaws that uh, if something does happen to me, the foundation goes to her. And if, if something does happen to two of us, it goes to my sons. One of my sons actually said that he wanted to carry on the tradition after I, which means That's a lot awesome. to me when my sons look up to me. Now, how old um, are your sons? Uh, Nick is the 20... So they're, they're all... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in their 20s. They're both... Uh, Nick's getting married next year. He's got my grandson, Bryson, and then Tyler uh, got married uh, last year. So, yes. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's... Uh, to know that they're proud of me. You know, I mean, obviously your family's always... They say they need to be proud of you. But when you have people that you don't know or people that are just like, oh, I, you know, I can't believe you, you've done a complete turn. Like, that's when you know that you've hit that turning point where people that knew you when you were you and now know you when you are now. And I've had close friends go, dude, I can't believe. If someone told me five years ago that you'd be running a foundation, doing all this good, not that it's a knock on me, but they're like, and they're like, we're in fucking, we're amazed. I mean, we're so proud. I've had so many friends just tell me that. I'm, we're so proud of you. And that makes me feel like I've done something right. When someone else outside of your immediate family, it's like, I'm so proud of you, man. What you've done, what you've accomplished is, is amazing. And, so yeah, it's not to swell my head or I'm not a star by any I'm not even looking for that shit. I'm just looking to make a difference. And if the rest of it comes, the rest of it comes, but I don't need that shit. I have everything I need right back at my house, right here in Hudson Falls. I got my dogs, I got yeah, my wife. Yeah, I was wife, surprised when you yeah. told me what you do and then seeing how many, like, the people and everything, I was like, this dude's, like, right around the corner. <laughs> like, yes. in, this, in the same little Bodunk town that I'm in. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, the only, that's why I, when I reached out, I saw that Terry was on it. And I'm like, oh, I'll because I love being on any show. You know, anytime I get the message out. I love that you, you message me. This is yeah. So I reached this out. This is a lot like, different oh. than I thought it was going to be too. I was like, I was like, where's he going to go with this? Well, you know, it's 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 funny because I, I'll switch the talk sometimes. I'll you know, obviously the story is always going to be there because I, I mean, obviously it's my story. But if you can lighten up a little bit, because sometimes depending on your excuse me on your audience, you don't want to make it too heavy. Because it is still, you know, that winter season where a lot of people deal with depression now. If you are in recovery, you have relapses. It's dismal outside. It's cold. It's fucking snowy. I mean, we all know this. Holidays just passed. People have lost loved ones. So you try to keep it a little bit light. So, it's like, even now, we're joking a little bit. Left. I mean, yes, we were a little deep into the story. I could get deeper. We could go into, you know, definitely specifics at some point. You know, or you really want to get a crew on, and people may say to you, hey, you ever have this dude on again? I'll be like, listen, I can get into real... Graphic details on everything, including the suicide attempts. But for the first time, just to get your audience out there, and if people it resonates, we can talk specifically on a topic on an hour. You ever want to do it again? We can do just strictly oh, on addiction. You and me, we can do depression. We I can mean, do. I'd love for you whatever, to come back in and promote stuff as you've got it going because this is an amazing, amazing thing that you've got going. I didn't know you had all of this going on. I saw the For Us For Life, like, didn't do it a little bit. I mean, I've only been talking to you, what, for like a week? Right, yeah. So it's like, between that and all the other stuff, I, you know, the, the dancers I, or whatever, it's chaos. Plus, I, I hold a, you know, a 40-hour-a-week job, right. so it's trying yeah, to work man. everything all together. I get it, And man. then still have time for the old lady and friends. <laughs> I know, but that's important. Remember that. She's always got to have her time. If she says no... Okay, we're watching Netflix. <laughs> I did. I did it actually one time last year. I finally needed a break, and I, I what I did is I went on all my social media pages and I said, we had family over the house, and I just said, you know, at this time, I respectfully ask that you refrain from messaging me on any of my platforms, as it is family and friends. I'm spending time with my wife, my kids, and my family, and I, you know, and no one messaged me that day, and we just spent it out. We had a pool at the house. We invited people. We had a, it was just family and friends. Didn't have my phone on. It was just. Family time. And I'm very big on family. I was brought up that way. My family means everything to me. I mean, people say that, but family is my sons, my grandson, my wife, you know, my immediate family. They're, it's all about my family. So, yeah. All dude, about family, dude. This is incredible. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate you having me on. Like dude, I said, I appreciate it was, it was, you it was, telling no. your story. And, 
everything you're doing for this community and, and across the country and even now parts of the other parts of the world. We're getting you, there. You've touched multi. You've touched like international. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> Looking from my vantage point, because I'm like, what? The first podcast I was at was a, a guy out of Australia, and I'm like, how's this guy want to talk to me about? It? And I've been on his show. I can't even tell you times that he's just. And I, I get requests all the time, and I try to do as many as I can. I mean, it's just it's it getting would be the message cool to out get, there. Like more specific topics. Yeah. Find people who have been through things and get them in to come in and talk yeah. with you. That'd yeah. be. Well, we do that even on my podcast. And then, like when we do it with with Herb, I mean, you're always willing to come in. You want to talk even about if you want to talk about what you went through with addiction, you can come on. I, I look for real life people, man. We've had people in the area, and I've skyped people in from California. I mean, I've had people on the podcast that are local. If I told you, you'd be like, what? Really? They were in for what? I'll have to ask you a question about that after. I don't want to do it on camera. No, that's fine. <laughs> but no, it's, um, yeah. Right not to incriminate myself. <laughs> but if, uh, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, you know, to Dave, you can always, if he wants to post my shit, you can always find it. It is called Forest for Life. You can see it on the camera. You'll see it. And forestforlife.com, there's a Facebook page. You can message me directly. I have a public speaker page that I have as well. So any of those platforms, if you know or you're someone in need, that needs any of the, uh, or would like to know more about our programs, feel free to contact me. As again, our, right now, they're every Wednesday night at the Salvation Army Building, which is 37 Broad Street in Glens Falls. Um, the calendar will be up on our website. So what time are the things at? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. That so, is the time. Yep. And um, we'll be building more and more programs, but right now we have four of them going, and they'll all be up. And if it's something that we can help you with, please feel free to reach out to, uh, to us at any time. That's what we're here for, so. This was great, man. Thanks, man. You've I been, appreciate it. Dude, this is an intense conversation. You've been an awesome guest tonight, man. Uh, I hope we get to do this again for real. Listen, man, anytime. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to talk about anything. Any topic you want this to talk is awesome. about, I'm good. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'm always grateful for you guys. Thank Pete, you, everybody. Design my card. He says, keep saving lives. <laughs> That's it, man. Have a great weekend, everybody. Everybody be Enjoy. safe. That's it.